Good morning, church family. I just quickly want to introduce our speaker this morning. His name is Terry Benge, and uh, Terry and I became acquainted in February while I was attending the Biblical Counseling Conference in Lafayette, and Terry was attending as well, and we struck up a conversation, and uh, we ended up talking about some really great stuff. And uh, Terry, I learned, is the director of a boys ranch in Illinois called Salem for Youth. And uh, you can go to their website if you'd like to check it out, salem4youth.com. I'm sure it'll tell you a little bit more about it this morning. Uh, but I was really impressed by what Terry's doing there and thought uh, it would be wonderful to have him come and share with you, one, so you can learn of that ministry a little bit. Um, according to their website right here, it says, The mission of Salem for Youth is to be a premier biblically-based organization that excels at mentoring and supporting youth and families in crisis. That's straight from their website. So if you want to learn more about it, you can go to SalemForYouth.com. Uh, but it's my joy to introduce Terry to you. I thought he would do a fantastic job of speaking to us from Proverbs on uh, the God's wisdom regarding marriage and the family. And so join me in welcoming this morning, Terry Binge. We are glad to be here this morning. Let me get this turned on. And um, <clears throat> I also want to thank your pastor for sharing his pulpit uh, with Salem for Youth Ranch, and, and I'm asking that God would be glorified this morning through his holy word and by our humble, repenting, God-honoring, always-praising hearts. It's difficult to accomplish a couple of things this morning. One, I have a clock on me. And it looks like I've already lost 10 minutes, so I'm in trouble. Um, and that is, I could talk about Salem for Youth for the next four Sundays, really. Stacy and I, my wife, we, we love the Salem for Youth Ranch and, and the work there that God has called us to, along with 25 full-time staff that have answered the call of God to this ministry. Um, we are located, if you just went two hours south of Chicago and started heading west to the center of the state, that's kind of where we are, the middle of nowhere. When you see that sign, it's another 10 miles past nowhere. Uh, and there is some material out back on one of the tables, and um, so you're welcome to have that and, and look at that, pray for us uh, as, as you think of us as we come to mind. Salem for Youth Ranch is a private Christian boarding school for teenage young men and their families, all kinds of families. We have pastor sons. We have missionary young men. We have young men who have never been to church in their life. We have families that know Christ, think they know Christ, and don't know Christ. It doesn't matter. Um, what we're looking at is do we think we can help in this situation that they're in. And uh, <clears throat> not everyone that applies is accepted, but everyone that applies are implied or enrolled by their family, by their parents. They're not sent by the state or the authorities or the court system to us. The young men live on the ranch for about 14 to 16 months, working through the program uh, with them and their family, in facing all of life's struggles and the main struggles, looking for reconciliation with the family as well and foremost with God. They do go to school on the ranch, but they didn't come to the ranch for schooling, but they do go to school on the ranch. They play, they work, uh, they learn, they struggle. They listen sometimes, they rebel, they walk, and sometimes they run um, from the ranch. We, we just walk through life with them right where they are and the family. 
But for those 14 to 16 months, we walk and talk and face life with them from a biblical worldview. Research says that people typically have shaped their worldview by age 13. All of us. That means all of us. And by age 22 or so, we've made some minor adjustments to it along the way. And by age 25, our worldview is pretty much set. So by the time the young man and his family arrive on the ranch, their worldview, their biblical worldview, their opinion of life, their opinion of others, and their opinion of themselves has taken hold. And from that view, all their emotions, their actions, and their character flow. And it's from there we begin to work with mom, dad, family, and son. The second thing to try to accomplish this morning is to preach, to share the Word of God with you. And I believe this is God's house, as I said this morning, and God's people, and it's the Lord's Day. Therefore, it's going to be God we talk about and not the ranch. I must acknowledge to you that the title of today's message, God's Wisdom for Marriage and Family, was given to me by your pastor, and I am grateful for that. That helps me. Uh, it helped me in shaping my studies. I've, what I want you to know is I've chosen just a, a few verses from Proverbs for the sake of time, and I, and I think they'll give us a framework of the truth and the wisdom of God for our marriages and families. What I want you to know is everything that we're going to cover <clears throat> are really just kind of bullet points, and each bullet point in and with itself, I'm sure your pastor or myself could preach series on for years to come. So this is just a, just a real glance of the surface, but things that I think God wants us to hear and to know today. When the home, the marriage, the family, when each individual functions according to the will of God and from the wisdom of God, it works. It always works. It, now, listen, it can never be perfect, and we need to understand that. It can never be a perfect marriage, and it's never going to be a perfect family because we are not perfect people. <clears throat> that would be a bad expectation, a wrong expectation, really. It will never be without trials or afflictions and difficulties from both internally or externally. In James um, 1, verses 1 through 8, but I'll just read a few of them. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, so my Christian family, when you meet trials of various kinds. He doesn't say in case you might have some various trials. He says when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Now get this next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we're asking for God's wisdom this morning. So let's just look. I, I want to just wet our, our whistle a little bit with some reasons why marriages struggle or even struggle to the point they fail, okay? Um, these first set of reasons are really man's reasons, people's reasons, our reasons. Arrogance, pride, bad friends, no accountability with God 
or with others. God not first in our homes, not seeking godly advice. Now, I know it sounds like I'm talking to the teenagers, but I'm actually talking to us, the adults and the parents and the teenagers as well. Forbes, as I was doing this study the last couple of months, I came across this article that had just been published in Forbes, uh, dated 2023, and it was titled, Revealing Divorce Statistics. So I'm going to just, I just picked a few uh, that I want to share with you because these apply, even if it didn't come to divorce, this is the results and always will be a result in a dysfunctional marriage, okay? And just to start off, the old saying was always half of all marriages dissolve, and their statistic says that is still true today. So 50% of all marriages don't survive. <clears throat> Second and third marriages are less likely to survive even more, greater. 62 and 73% of those marriages fail. That's a big number. Proverbs 15.21 says, Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Another statistic they had, couples who had friends who divorce have a 75% increase in the risk of their own marriage failing. Proverbs 13.20, the wisdom of God would say, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We think our friends are innocent to us. They're not. Top reasons for divorce, and this is from the National Library of Medicine, it states, one, lack of commitment is the number one reason, and 75% of marriages fail due to that reason. Infidelity and extramarital affairs was the second reason at 60%. And like I said this morning, those two, to me, are hand in hand, because if you are not committed, you will be unfaithful. Proverbs 6.32 says, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense, and he who would destroy himself does it. 72% of couples report not understanding the realities or the stages of marriage. God's wisdom says, Proverbs 15, 22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Godly counselors, Christian counselors, Young couples looking to get married, couples that are young that are married, go find the ones that have been married 40 and 50 years. Talk to them. Talk with your pastor. Talk with other Christians. You want that marriage to survive. David says, Though thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, O Lord. This one fascinates me. They stated, one of the many consequences of divorce is an increased risk of early death. Now, mind you, Forbes is a secular publication. Get this. Sadly, they write, the mortality rate is nearly 1,400 people per 100,000 for divorcees compared with 779 per 100,000 of married couples. The death rate for divorcees is double, nearly double. Proverbs 14, 27, the wisdom of God says, listen, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. 
Now, those are most of the reasons our marriage struggles and we get into battles and we have troubles and I have other passages, but we don't have time to get there and James tells us why we have them. But here's what God says. And this is really the hinge of this morning's conversation with you as we just ask God to kind of touch our hearts. God's reason is says this, it's faithlessness. It's faithlessness. Faithfulness will open the doors of heaven, gang, but a lack of faithfulness will cost you everything. Numbers 14, 26 to 35. But again, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump in at kind of around verse 29 or 30, where God is talking to Aaron and Moses, and he's had it with his people, and he says, okay, I'm going to give them what they want. They're going to die. So here we pick up the conversation. He says, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I'm going to do to you. He says, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years and older and upward. So everybody that's 20 years and older who have grumbled against me, not one of them shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Here it is. But your little ones who you said that they would become prey. You remember saying that to me? He says, I'm going to bring them in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. Grab this, and shall suffer for your faithlessness. Now, it's interesting to me that we know somewhat the story of all the things that Israel did as they had left Egypt, how many times, and idols, and I mean, all the vain things they did, all the sins they committed, and God summarized it into one word, faithlessness. The faithfulness of mom and dad, the faithlessness of mom and dad costs the whole family dearly. And the word actually faithful, faithlessness meant, if you, in the Hebrew, uh, um, adultery, idolatry. Actually, the King James Version, the word is whoredom. It's apostasy. Marriages and families become dysfunctional because we are or we become unfaithful. Marriages and families are dysfunctional because we are faithless when we are faced with our fears. And families fall apart because we are not continually pursuing a walk in faithfulness. So now just to hit just a couple of things. <clears throat> Again, this is not all inclusive, and I just, for the sake of time, can only pick a couple of things, so they're S's. So for the men... Ladies, sit back, relax. But like I told the first group, no elbowing going on during this moment, okay? Um, men, point number one, slow to speak. Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ooh. To be hurried in speaking, narrow speaking, quickly, without thought. It's referencing. And there is no hope for a fool, you get, unless a fool turns from his unfoolishness. 
and becomes unfoolish. So dads, husbands, men in general, we should be slow to speak. Hear the whole matter. Listen intently to your children before responding. Listen to your wife. Oh my, if only, right? The fruit of the Spirit, patience, self-control. Listen to all that she has to say. Don't be short with her. Don't be quick to determine whether she handled the situation right or wrong or whether the subject was interesting or not interesting. That would be hasty and narrow. I noticed my wife's taking a lot of notes over there. <laughs> Wives long for their husbands to listen to everything. I know, guys, we think that's the problem. The woman wants to tell us everything and generally takes two days to do it. But listen, get this, this is an important point. Even if that is a problem, gentlemen, it's not your problem, it's hers. Your duty is to hear the whole matter. Proverbs 18, 13 says, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly, foolishness, and shame to him. Your duty is to make sure your wife is part of the team, the helpmate that God made her. God's instruction is for you to be a good listener and a good leader and to love her exactly as Christ loved the church. Oh, God's wisdom is beyond perfect fruit inspectors, moments and people. God will send fruit inspectors. As I said this morning, fruit inspectors are flat tires, screaming kids, late for work, late for church. The wife's always late. I'm always in the car, nudging the horn, right? I can't find my cell phone. I lost my keys. Why is the dog out? Those are fruit inspectors, gang. <clears throat> Proverbs 17.3 says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. One important point before we move on, James 4.17, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Guys, we can't laugh this off. That really is the problem. For some reason, we've categorized sin into uh, little sins that should be inconsequential to the Lord versus big sins that, that God should take notice of. That is simply not true, and we know it. The second S would be stability. Dads, husbands, granddads, men. Proverbs 27.8 says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Point A would be this, the nest. What happens when a bird doesn't stay close to the nest? Well, disaster, that's what happens in all kinds of ways. Uncertainty for the nest, lack of stability for the nest, no leadership in the nest, no sense of direction for those in the nest, vulnerability for those in the nest, chaos occurs in the nest, confusion as to the leadership of the nest, difficulties in the nest, outside influences creep into the nest, setting the nest up for destruction and death. 
I'm not saying that mom can't give some leadership or some of these things. Of course she can, and at times should. However, the wisdom of God is that the charge of leadership, amongst other things, for the home and the marriage and the family was given to the man. That's when the nest will operate at its best. Notice it says, stray. And the Greek word for there would mean to wave or flap to and fro. So it doesn't mean going to work or fixing the car, but straying, here's a note I want you to write down or take really good listen to, but straying, that implies the idea of activity outside the nest or home that is not necessary or essential to the existence of the nest, to the success of the nest, or to the provision of the nest. What might that be? Well, personal rec time, extra work hours, garage time, man cave time, cell phone time. Dad, that's what that means. I mean, think about it. Adam didn't do his job in the garden. And what happened? He was not tending the nest. I mean, he was there, but he was not actively present. He stood idly by, and literally the history of mankind was forever changed to the point that only a dying Savior could fix what Adam had done by Adam not doing what Adam was supposed to do. And just a little side note worth noting, when God came into the garden after they both had sinned and rebelled and disobeyed, God did not come in and say, Eve, what in the world have you done? Genesis 3.9, just let me refresh your memory. Then the Lord, Yahweh, God, called to the man, and he said to him, in case we didn't understand what the man meant, then he said to him, where are you? Adam is whom God came looking for and whom God addressed for the sin in Adam's home, not Eve. Second point of that stray would not only be the danger to the nest, but to you as well, men. Straying from the nest would also imply that the man may be beginning to let his eyes stray or his heart stray or his desires stray or his thoughts begin to stray. Wives, yes, take care of the home and yourself so that he should only have eyes for you and desires for you and a heart for you. But men, if she has changed in appearance or in attitude or in health or in any manner, it remains no excuse for you to stray, not mentally, not physically, and definitely not spiritually. Proverbs 7.22 and 23 says this, All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till what? Till an arrow pierces his liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. I solemnly swear before God and these people, you said, guys, in sickness and in health, richer and poor, better or for worse. You swore to God and before God. You took an oath on the Lord's name. Born again or not born again, Christian or not Christian, do not dismiss the wisdom of God. It can cost you your life. 
wife, mom, children, teenagers. You all have God-required duties within the home, but the Bible is clear. It starts and stops with the man, you, the husband. You are to be the absolute leader of your home, and God is to be your absolute leader. Okay, men, breathe easy. Ladies, and I'm in trouble because that clock, is, literally, I think it lost 20 minutes. I, I have no idea how this is going to happen. <clears throat> Ladies, let me get through these quickly, just two. Number one, Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Shaming. How do we do that? Well, we can do it personally with friends. <clears throat> by talking about him negatively to your girlfriends, by talking about his flaws and his struggles to others, besides your biblical counselor. By joking about him to others. My wife goes to get her hair done in a little town called Pontiac, and the things that she hears out of the mouth of the other women in the chairs and the hairdressers is appalling about their husbands and boyfriends. They disclose things about finances, business, his job, intimacy, or the lack of intimacy. It's shocking, really. One, that they would use such language, and two, that they would reveal such things publicly. The second way, ladies, is to publicly, so personally, but then publicly with others. Another way to shame your husband is to publicly rebuke him in front of someone else. And that is either verbally or just with your eyes or those tense shoulders. We all know the look, right? We do. <clears throat> others see you. Your children see you. Don't do it. Not because I'm saying it, but because the wisdom of God is telling you not to. Your husband adores you when you refrain from exposing his weaknesses. He adores you when you compliment him openly for the things he is wonderful with. Now, ladies, just like the men, if he's not wonderful with much, <clears throat> that's his problem, not yours. Your duty is to be an excellent wife so he can be in awe of you and be seen with you proudly. See, you complete him in all things. An excellent wife, it says, is the crown of her husband. He wears it proudly and it honors him. You understand the language here. The outfit of the prince isn't complete without the crown. If he just has the robe and the shoes and the pants, big deal, no authority. But boy, when the crown is on, it finishes the outfit, it completes it. You honor him with your words and you honor him with your actions or you shame him with your words and you shame him with your actions. And then a third way, ladies, is privately with family. A third way to shame your husband would be to not support his leadership in the home by not following through with what he has asked of you to do in helping him. You're his helpmate, right? Partner from his side. You shame your husband when you speak ill of him, when you are dismissive of him in front of your children or the extended family. And like I said earlier, trust me, we spend 16 months with your son in our program. They see it and we see it. We shame our husbands when we speak of his inabilities in front of or to our children. It's not edifying. It's not edifying your husband. It's degrading his authority and belittling his role, and it's actually rebelling toward him, all the while teaching your children how to do the same thing and worse. 
Resist the temptation, okay? Number two, ladies, squabbling. Proverbs 27, 15 through 16. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Ooh. To restrain her is to restrain the wind. Can't do it. Or to grasp oil in one's right hand, it says. I know. He doesn't drive right. He doesn't do the dishes right. He doesn't put them in the dishwasher the way I want. He doesn't do home repairs right, if he does them at all. And he doesn't do them timely, that's for certain. He doesn't help me with the kids. He doesn't listen well to you. I get it. But again, whose problem is that? That's his problem, not yours. Moms, wives, your husband needs you whether he admits it or not. Your duty is not to squabble, but to be faithful. Ladies, 1 Peter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. See there, it's his problem. And God's fully aware of it. So it's not your problem, but here's what God wants you to do. So that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, but braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing of your, or, that you wear. But listen, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now get this last part, which in God's sight is very precious. God said when he created creation, he said it is very good. <clears throat> Practical application. Whew, we got four minutes. We're in trouble. Men, wives, families, let me describe something quite simple. It goes like this. Scripture teaches God first in the home, then your spouse, then your kids, then your job, then others, and then you, okay? And at first glance, most of us would say, well, I mean, we're maybe not, that's us. And I will tell you, statistically and in personal interviews with moms and dads and family counseling for nearly two decades, this is seldom the case. Here comes the shocking part. Dad, your main job is not providing. Your main role is not discipline. Your main role is not your wife. Your main role is godliness. It's faithfulness. They asked that very question in 1 Samuel 15, but in verse 22 at the end of it, he says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. It is a constant pursuit of holiness, men, ladies, which is faithfulness. Your faithfulness matters. When you're faithful, now here's the connection. When you're faithful in pursuing faithfulness in all things with God, it is then you are able to provide what's needed. It's then you will handle proper and timely discipline as needed. Your wife will be the princess of the home at all times. You see, when you are not the king, men, but when you are the prince... 
Why do I say it that way? I want to retool our thinking. Because a prince is the highest male authority under the king. So, men, you need to be the prince of your home. Why? Because your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, needs to be the king of your home and my home. Then and only then will your community of citizens thrive within your God-ordained nest, your kingdom, your home. Ladies, wives, your main job is not the house. Now, be careful. I know all of you are going, whew. Your main job is not the house. Your main role is not your kids. Your main role is not paying bills. Your main role is to be faithful to God, first and foremost. When you're faithful to God in all things, you will be able to be called a Proverbs 31 woman. See, women, I'm going to defend you for a minute. Women are often unfairly compared and expected to be a Proverbs 31 wife. But that's got it all wrong. The woman in Proverbs 31 is all those things and excellent because she is first faithful in her walk with God. Therefore, she is all those things. Therefore, she is able to do all those things. Her heart is right. And men... That should be our first priority with our wife, helping and leading them spiritually. But just Proverbs 31, verse 29 and 30, it says, many women have done excellently. So there's many have done excellently, but you surpass them all. I wonder why. Because then it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now look at verse 28. It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. You see, we get it backwards. Relying on self instead of pursuing God. Let me close. I see this every week on the Salem for Youth Ranch, working with the parents who so often are just looking for 12 steps or eight ways to raise perfect children or, again, 12 or 10 or 14 steps to fix the marriage, there's a far simpler way, God's way. There's only one way to have a solid marriage, a stable family, and secure children, and that would be God's way. But it is so hard to get our arms around that, isn't it? This is the number one problem we deal with in family and Christian counseling every week. Not fearing God more than anything else. Not loving God more than anything or anyone else. And not trusting or really following God more than ourselves or anything or anyone else. Now you would say, well, Terry, you said here's the number one thing. You just listed three. And all those add up to one. Not being faithful to God despite everything else. We have our Christianity, yes, we do, but it's not in the order nor the practice that God designed it. The dad in Mark 9, he cried out, I believe, but what? Help my unbelief. God must be everything to you and to me. He must be whom we wake up with. He must be whom you walk with all day and whom you go to sleep with. Anything less, those then are steps 
toward being an unfaithful follower of Jesus Christ. God's demand is for Him to be everything you want in life. And if you are His, He will see to it. Walk faithfully in the study of His Word. Walk faithfully in what His Word says. And walk faithful to His Word no matter the people or the circumstance you find yourself in. Listen, if so, your marriage, your spouse, your family, your children will be all that God intended it to be. So may the God of all creation bless your marriage, bless your family, and sanctify you in His truth.